All right, all right, all right. It is the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzim Vasugian, the host of the Chief Zone Podcast. Thank you all for downloading the podcast and making it part of your day. Hope you're all having a great week. Delivering another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast to you. Very exciting podcast for you. A lot to get into on this episode. As always, we'll be doing our game breakdown. This time it'll be the Chiefs and the Bengals this Sunday night at Arrowhead. So Sunday night night football, two weeks in a row for Kansas City. And a lot of reactions from Sunday's loss. Now keep in mind, because it was Sunday night, I immediately recorded the podcast after I did the Facebook Live video. So I didn't really have a chance to read all of the reactions. And I want to take some time to react to all of the reactions, a re-reaction, essentially, uh, from everything that happened Sunday night at Gillette Stadium. A lot of crazy things that took place that I want to get into on this episode. Uh, Biggest uh, part of the episode, Russell Baxter, uh, fan-sided in NFL Spin Zone, will be joining us later on. Uh, Russell's uh, had a phenomenal career uh, in, in sports media and very excited to have him on. He knows the game of football just as well as anybody. And he'll be joining us later on to break down things with the Chiefs and their start to the season and how he thinks they'll do as the season unfolds. So we will talk to Russell about that later on in the podcast. Plus, the Oakland Raiders move to Las Vegas might backfire. I, as as a Chiefs fan, of course, I'm excited because I I go to Vegas. I've mentioned on the podcast before, but... From a marketing standpoint, given how bad the Raiders have been, things could get very ugly, and I'll explain why later on in the podcast. Lots to get into here on this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. As always, interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash farzivasugin. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. As always, we will do a Facebook Live video this Sunday night at halftime and after the game, so... As usual, you guys know the drill. Join me at halftime and after the game. We will do a Facebook Live video and do some commentary at halftime and after the game. The uh, recap episode will be out, as always, shortly after. Well, it'll be recorded shortly after the Facebook Live video, and it'll be up early Monday morning for your listening pleasure. As far as the preview for the, the Broncos game next week, that will be out a little bit early, I'll be traveling next week, so expect the episode to be up uh, sometime late Tuesday evening or uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, I will do a recap podcast, uh, I'll actually have to figure out, I'll actually be out of the country, so I gotta figure out uh, how to uh, catch the Chiefs and Broncos game, worst case scenario, you look for one of those streams online that no one's supposed to be aware of, but everyone knows that they're out there. Uh, but hopefully they have the game on, uh, considering they are the best uh, team in the AFC. So um, maybe they, they go there. Maybe they can promote the whole Chiefs in Mexico thing while I'm, while I'm there. Uh, maybe they they put them and the Rams on the most. Who knows? But uh, I'll try to uh, keep a lookout for that. It seems like anytime I'm on the road, uh, the Chiefs and Broncos are playing at Arrowhead. Uh, I just kind of realized that. But uh, what's funny, I actually, uh, real quickly, last year... I was trying to watch the Chiefs and Broncos Monday Night Football game last year. That was when Jamal Charles returned to Arrowhead and fumbled, and Marcus Peters took it back for a touchdown. And at one point, I just gave up uh, because the ESPN Go app, that was not working out. And playing Wi-Fi always suck. So I was actually reading the uh, play-by-play uh, box score on ESPN as it happened. It's kind of weird. Uh, I don't want to say watching football that way because you're technically not watching anything. But but you're reading all these uh, 
these stats as they unfold. It's kind of an interesting way to, to watch football. I don't suggest it, uh, but it was kind of intriguing. At one point, though, and I, I remember I shared this story last year, uh, the plane was flying, not above, not directly above, because obviously it's 9-11, they, they have changed the rules, but it was kind of adjacent um, from uh, from Arrowhead Stadium. So as we're still flying, and because the Wi-Fi is so crappy, the scores were not updating, and obviously I can't watch a stream uh, from the ESPN Go app because it was buffering all the time. Uh, at one point, I was, I was go- we, we could actually see Arrowhead Stadium. You could see the parking lots full of cars. Some fans were leaving. You, you could see the lights. You could actually see the action happening on the field. Not clearly, but you can tell that there was movement happening on the field. I had never seen that before. And the, the crappiest part about it was... I'm wondering what the hell's happening there. So, uh, not going to be the case. I'll actually be uh, at the hotel. Um, uh, hopefully, it'll be on one of the sports bars or somewhere. But worst case scenario, I'll have my laptop with me. But point being is, we will have a recap podcast. And audio quality might be a little bit different. If you remember, I've been on the road in the past. Uh, taking, I'm not going to take my bulky microphone with me on the road just not going to do that uh especially when you're on the beach just trying to relax some uh, much needed time off but uh nonetheless there there will still be a podcast so just giving you guys a heads up about that and how the audio quality will be for that recap podcast against the broncos in a couple of weeks or less than a couple of weeks essentially all right we have little time to waste as i mentioned we've got to preview the game between the chiefs and the Bengals. russell baxter will be on the podcast later on uh, in this episode, and also we'll do our closing segments and wrap things up here. So very busy episode. Let's just go back to the uh, recap from the uh, Patriots loss, because it was a tough one to to take in. The Chiefs didn't play very well in the first half. They took the lead in the second half when people thought the game was over at halftime, and the Chiefs really found a way to, to stick it to New England, let them know, hey, look, we're not going to be pushed around here. You may have had a big lead at halftime, but we're still fighting. And that's always been a big characteristic of this Chiefs team under Andy Reid. And the crazy thing about it, and I've said this many times on here, I am not a fan of moral victories. I, I don't believe in them. I don't care how good or how bad you are. Uh, a, a win is a win, and a loss is a loss, and a draw is a draw. And we've seen a couple of those, a couple close calls as well with ties this year. But uh, I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of moral victories. But th- this seems to be kind of weird. Uh, Garon, uh, who goes by the uh, Twitter username MyOwnPerson44, tweeted me, uh, and he says, To me, this feels like a win because Casey is getting, quote, his words, not mine, all the street cred. I, I thought that was kind of a funny way to put it. And he's right. The The thing about this game is Monday morning when you listen to all the national talk, whether it's through TV, the radio, or if you, if you read about it uh, in the paper, a lot of people were more impressed by the Chiefs than they were the Patriots. Now, obviously, the people who are most excited about the win, the Patriots fans, and people who are down about it the most, Chiefs fans, but outside of the Boston area and the Kansas City area, it seems like a lot of people were far more impressed with the Chiefs in this football game. It almost feels like they did win. I remember the NFL, they put out their power rankings um, on Facebook, and I was reading some of the comments because the Patriots 
were number two. The Rams were number one. Obviously, they're under, the only undefeated team. The Patriots moved to number two. The Chiefs at number three. And every single person in the comments section complained about how the Patriots should not be ahead because they barely came away with a win and they almost blew the lead. Uh, now, look, I disagree with that. I, as far as head-to-head goes, the Patriots won. Whether they won by a big margin or not, uh, they, they won the football game. But But my point is, in bringing this up, is that the reaction that people have from Sunday night, everyone just seems far more impressed with the Chiefs than the Patriots in this game. Every team is beatable. The Patriots prove that the Chiefs are beatable simply by beating them in this football game. And the Chiefs prove that, hey, look, you don't just lay down and roll over at halftime. You keep punching and you look for one of those big punches that could land for a big knockout. And the Chiefs came close to that at one point when they did take the lead. Uh, on Tyree Kill's second touchdown of the game and tying it on his third touchdown run. Uh, things got pretty crazy in that football game, and people thought, look, this Chiefs football team, they proved how you can stun this football team in the playoffs, this Patriots team, that is. Stephen A. Smith of ESPN, uh, he, uh, and I don't know the names of these shows, I think it's first take. I know there's first things first. I know there's undisputed. Uh, I, I'm at work uh, during the morning, so I don't I don't know all of these shows and I don't listen to them. I, I don't. I, a lot of the criticism surrounding some of these uh, guys, Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Shannon, Sh- I, I don't. I'm not really aware of many of these because I don't watch these shows. Uh, some people like them, some people don't. You either love them or you hate them. That, that's just how it works. And Nick Wright's another guy, formerly of, of Six Ten Sports Radio here in KC, uh, of course with Chris Carter. Uh, but I think it was uh, Stephen A. Smith, again, I think it was first things first, uh, or first take, excuse me, first take. And he said on his show that Kansas City is going to the Super Bowl. He was more impressed uh, with Kansas City than he was with New England. And he thinks that the only team that can beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, he thinks that the, the playoffs are going to go through Arrowhead and from the AFC side. And he thinks the only team that can go to Arrowhead and win is New England. And he said he doesn't have enough confidence in New England to last that long in the playoffs. And that he thinks the Chiefs are on their way to a Super Bowl. He didn't say that they could win, but he's saying that they are on their way to a Super Bowl. Now, people think Stephen A. Here's how it works with these national guys. If they pick against your team, they're morons, they're idiots, they're haters, they know nothing about the sport. But if they pick for your team to win, if they favor your team, they're the geniuses of the world. And, of course, the Chiefs fans, I mean, they can never be happy about anything. Now Chiefs fans are saying he has jinxed uh, the Chiefs. I mean, look, I, I, I don't care about any of that. I really don't. Uh, I just thought that was kind of weird to see that dynamic where Chiefs fans... Some Chiefs fans praised him for his comments, and some feel like he should not comment on the team, which I, I don't understand the, the criticism of that. But my point is with that is Stephen A. Smith, you like him or not, he's got his platform for a reason. And for him to pick the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl, I mean, that's that's not something you, you take lightly here. There are a lot of guys who are going to be wrong with their predictions. Whether they have their preseason predictions or if they change their prediction midway through the year and pick a different team to win the AFC or win the Super Bowl, uh, yeah, everyone's entitled to that. But at the end of the day, 
Stephen A. Smith, of all people, to to pick the Chiefs, and, and people say he's been a Kansas City hater, allegedly. Well, now he's giving the, your Chiefs some love, and, and again, wh- whether people like it or not, that's another thing, but he, he's kind of leading the charge of the reaction from Sunday night of the fact that more people liked Kansas City's performance than New England's performance in that game. And I and I know it's the, the, the quote says, it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. And Kansas City finished a hell of a lot better than New England in this football game. Now, sure, it was New England that finished on top. That's one thing. But as far as the second half goes... The Chiefs put up some big numbers in that second half. As a matter of fact, they outscored the Patriots 31-19 to in that second half. As far as the third quarter alone, they outscored the Patriots 17-3. to And this brings me to my next point. There's nothing to feel bad about losing to New England on the road by three with time expiring after an insurmountable comeback, a crazy deficit. Kansas City is 5-1, still with the best record in the AFC. Now, if they lose this week, they may no longer be holding that number one seed. But for right now, they do. And they've had a very difficult schedule through six weeks. Every AFC team would trade records with Kansas City right now. And I'm saying this because there are still people who feel down following the loss, especially immediately after it. And listen, I've been guilty of some crazy immediate overreactions. uh, But some people are really down because the Chiefs lost. Listen... I get it. The Chiefs started 5-0. You forgot what it was like to lose. So did I. Only four teams in NFL history have an undefeated regular season, though. The 1934 Bears, the 42 Bears, the 1972 Dolphins, the only team to go unbeaten from start to finish all the way to the Super Bowl, and the Patriots nearly going 19-0, but did go 16-0, the only team to go 16-0 under this 16-game format. Kansas City started 5-0 for two straight years. So losing in week six for the first time, that's an unusual feeling. It's kind of it kind of feels eccentric because you you don't remember what it was like to lose. So a loss this late into the season is not easy to take for the first time. And here's another thing I want to get into here. I saw fans jump off the Patrick Mahomes Mahomes bandwagon at halftime. And people already sealed the game, turned off their TVs, whatever. And even a few people labeled him as a bust. And again, I get it, overreaction, anger in the moment. This is the first time you're about to see your team lose. So so, so, so the, the feeling is negative because you've never felt this negative energy before watching your football team this year. Now listen, I don't think any Chiefs fan truly means that when they say Mahomes is a bust and they want him gone. Again, it's, I think it's an overreaction. Everybody knows Patrick Mahomes is a huge reason why Kansas City started the season 5-0. There will be a day, though, when Mahomes has a horrendous game where he throws one or no touchdowns and he's going to turn the football over three, four, five, maybe even six times. Every elite player has done that at one point or so in their career. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Brady, it was not in one of the games uh, recently against the Chiefs, but there was one football game, I want to say in 2005, where Brady threw four picks against the Chiefs. I think it was Greg Wesley or Jerome Woods. I can't remember which safety it was. They picked off Brady three times, if I remember correctly. So, everybody is going to have, and I don't care if you are Michael Jordan, if you are Tom Brady or whoever you think is the greatest football player ever of all time, uh, if you're LeBron James, if you're Wayne Gretzky, Sidney Crosby, uh, Whoever in any sport, 
Everybody, even the best players, have their horrendous games. You think Michael Phelps was perfect every single time he got in the swimming pool? No, I mean, there have been moments where he's he's looked bad. In fact, there was one time where he didn't win a gold medal. So everybody has their moments where they, they have their off day and maybe they're not playing uh, to their potential like they usually do. It's going to, and I'm not saying that's the case with Mahomes this week. I want to be clear about that. Mahomes did not have a horrendous game. He did everything possible to put the Chiefs in position to win. He put, he helped the Chiefs put 40 points on the scoreboard on the road in Foxborough. That does not happen in Foxborough. If you recall, the only other Chiefs, uh, the only other team to do that was the Chiefs last year. So listen, uh, putting up 40 plus points on the Patriots, home or away, that, that's not an easy thing to do. Brady's always putting up a big chunk of points with that Patriots offense, and it's hard for teams to be able to play at Brady's level or outscore him by a big margin like the Chiefs have done in, in, in the past couple of regular season meetings. This time, uh, it was Brady who got the last laugh, but man, you, you look at how the Chiefs played in this football game. They, they played him real close. They gave him a run for their money for sure, but I digress. My point is, Patrick Mahomes is going to have a horrendous game. It may be this year. For the first time ever, it may happen next year. And it's going to happen a few more times throughout his hopefully 15, 20-year career. Hopefully a very healthy and successful career. But it's not going to be a flawless career where he has perfection every single week. And I think because of how the start he got off to, breaking records and not throwing an interception until uh, week 5 against the Jaguars this season, people just thought that he was on his way to a perfect season a perfect career essentially so some people forgot that hey look this guy is human he's not he's not some iron man he's not he's not a cyborg he's not a marvel superhero to go forever without a single interception in his career he's going to make more of those mistakes down the line but he's going to limit those mistakes it's not like he's going to have those on a consistent basis he might have Five interceptions in a game one day in his career. It's not going to happen in back-to-back weeks. It's not going to happen on a consistent basis. And I know this is very hypothetical, but let's just say he has a 15-year career where he doesn't uh, he doesn't suffer any injuries. And again, I know this is unrealistic because in week 17, if you're if you've got a great placement w- with your record, uh, a lot of times you see players uh, get a day off. But let's just. Third of that all out the window. If Patrick Mahomes has a healthy 15-year career, playing 16 games every single year, that's 240 football games. You can't expect the guy to go 240 games without a horrendous game. You look at Tom Brady, and I don't know how many games exactly Tom Brady's played in his career, but man, he has, he's had some bad ones. Peyton Manning's had some bad ones. Dan Marino, John Elway... Johnny Unitas, going all the way far back. Look at franchise history. Trent Green, he's had a few bad games in Kansas City. Len Dawson has had some bad games in KC. So everybody has had their bad moments in KC. Alex Smith, in recent memory, actually, a great example. Everyone's had that before. And I'm bringing this up because of the, again, I get it's overreaction. But don't get too angry for one loss. And I think a lot of Chiefs fans did that. And I think, you know, for those who are listening, and if you still felt that negative energy, I hope this conversation has kind of helped you 
come back to life a little bit and maybe made you realize, okay, look, it is just one loss. This team's going to move forward. And let me just say one thing right now. And I know Andy Reid's been criticized quite a lot with his play calling and some of the decision making he's made in Kansas City. I just want to remind you one thing. Because I don't care who your quarterback is, whether it's Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, whoever is your quarterback in Kansas City. And I know Mahomes hasn't played a full season yet. But what I do know, and what all of you should know, is that this Chiefs football team has never finished below 500 under Andy Reid. The worst record they had was a 9-7 record, barely missing the playoffs in 2014. That was after an 0-2 start. They won, what was it, 10 in a row to finish the regular season after a 1-5 start, extending it to 11 wins and getting the first playoff win in forever? As long as Andy Reid is your head coach, you have plenty of reasons to feel optimistic. It's okay to be angry. After a loss. It's okay to be sad or upset. But it's not okay to have this crazy overreaction and think it's the end of the world due to one loss. If any of you guys felt that way before listening to this podcast, I hope this has helped everyone kind of relieve the pain that you had before. Ease up a little bit because we still have a lot of games left to play. 11 more games left. Kansas City's going to do a lot this season. They absolutely will. They'll do a lot of good things. They've done a lot of great things in their 5-1 start. And their only loss was to New England with three seconds winding down. Time expired, they lost. Big deal, it happens. You can't expect... Teams to go undefeated in the regular season. It's not realistic. That's why I laugh when people assume the Patriots, when they predict a 16-0 season. They predicted that last year on USA Today, and they lost their first game of the season, courtesy of Kansas City. So it happens. Only four teams have had a perfect regular season. So, twice since the merger. So it's become more difficult to do, obviously. Especially when you ha- when they've added more games over the year. But again, I digress. I think everyone gets the idea now. Now, two quick things I want to touch on following the game. Everyone's been talking about the incident with Tyreek Hill and the fan who threw beer at him. It's now being uh, mentioned that the, the fan who threw the beer at Tyreek Hill, uh, he has been banned from all events at Gillette Stadium, including Pats games, concerts, anything else that takes place. At Gillette Stadium. Now, how in the hell does this get enforced? It absolutely does not. If I got banned for being a clown at Arrowhead and running onto the field, and if they ban me from ever attending a game at Arrowhead again, all I have to do is shave my goatee, get a haircut or wear a hat, one of those things, maybe put on sunglasses, but even before the eyewear, I think I've already done enough to get away with it if I wanted to go to Arrowhead the following week. I'm not encouraging this kind of activity, but let's be real. If you have a buddy who pays a ticket for you and, and, and gives you one ticket, and you pay him back for that, I'm look, you can go in, have a good time, and security doesn't have to ID you. Security doesn't even ID you when you get your ticket scanned. There was a fan at Arrowhead 10 years ago who was banned for running onto the field against the Vikings. Casey Wolf jumped on top of that fan Uh, and uh, some of the security members who were on top of that pile. That was 10 years ago. 
The guy could walk into Arrowhead this Sunday night. No one would know who in the world he is. So I this thing this kind of thing can't get enforced. Now, if he goes out there and posts on social media with his government issued name, you know, hey, I'm I'm at I'm at Gillette Stadium. Oh, I, I'm back here, folks. Well, then you do put yourself in a world of trouble there. But if you stay off social media and you maybe put on a bit of a disguise, you're sitting in the cheap seats. Who's to say that they're going to notice? Because let's be honest, does an usher truly know what that fan looks like? No, they don't. What about that fan 10 years ago? Everyone's forgotten about that. No one knows what that guy looks like. Especially back then, social media wasn't a big thing. It probably would have been maybe more noted at the time if it was. But 10 years has passed, folks. So that fan can easily walk in Arrowhead this Sunday. Uh, and obviously, you know, people, their looks change in 10 years. So he can go in. With the look he has on right now, and he'll be just fine Sunday night. So look, uh, this stuff doesn't get enforced. If he does get in trouble again, obviously the police get his name, they identify him, and there will be more serious charges above that, but hopefully people learn their lesson from that if they choose to sneak back in to stadiums. But Tyree Kill and his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, uh, they are looking to file a lawsuit against this fan. He's already received multiple criminal charges. I'm not going to get into all of this, but look, if you're front row at a game, just don't be a moron. Uh, I guess the worst thing you can do and not necessarily get banned for it is flipping off a player. It did happen to Kareem Hunt a couple of weeks ago uh, on Monday Night Football in Denver. But you know what? With the power of social media and sitting front row, when people are taking screenshots all the time, it's easy to get identified. So in this day and age where if you get in trouble and if it's exposed online, you could possibly lose your job. So maybe even the whole flipping off the, the player thing, that could even be uh, out of line and maybe a risky thing to do. But... Just don't be a moron if you're sitting front row at these events. It's not that hard. Just enjoy your time. Have a couple of drinks. Don't have too many. And everyone will be happy. Second thing I want to talk about. This one actually makes me very angry. Uh, Chiefs Radio Network producer Dan Israel tweeted that equipment was stolen from the Chiefs radio booth following the game. This should be the bigger story than that drunk fan who threw beer at Tyree Kill. And maybe I'm a little biased because I've worked with equipment like this before. Now, first of all, people may be wondering, how did someone sneak into this radio booth? That is my question as well. Because generally at football stadiums, baseball stadiums, these broadcast booths are in an area where you do have to go through multiple security guards to get to that floor level. There are always security guards inside the elevators and outside the elevators uh, who check for some sort of a, a badge, uh, a credential uh, that you must have in order to be at a specific place. I know at Arrowhead, uh, you, you definitely have to have credentials if you want to be at the same level as to where the uh, radio booth is. Uh, you definitely have to have a an employee credential where Kauffman Stadium uh, has their broadcast booths. So a lot of times with these broadcast booths, uh, Producers who are in charge of all the equipment, they're not necessarily too concerned. They always leave the box uh, outside, maybe a couple of cables in their uh, in their crate, just kind of sitting outside the door because they, they're not expecting fans to walk by. Well, apparently, some Patriots fans came through and uh, they took, I don't know what they took, but they uh, they stole equipment, according to Israel. 
Now, listen, the Chiefs are an NFL franchise. They can get that replaced in no time, but that's not the case here. That equipment, I mean, the the Chiefs are going to have to uh, probably conduct some sort of an investigation. You know, who was in the room and and what was stolen? How much is it worth? Uh, You know, uh, do we need to cover for this or does the Chiefs radio network have enough budget for that? I mean, these kinds of stuff, they, they, they take some time. And hopefully the Chiefs will replace it or have already done so by now but uh I don't even understand why a fan would need to steal radio equipment I get it's 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 valuable but who are you gonna sell it to and why and they and whoever you're selling it to they might question as to why you have that equipment in the first place so this does kind of make me upset how is it that a fan even had access to this level I understand that in some sporting arenas uh, the broadcast booth can also be on the same floor as to where some of the suites are. And listen, with some of those suites where it's all-inclusive, uh, drink as much as you want, people get wasted and they probably do stupid stuff such as stealing radio equipment that they don't even need. Uh, but nonetheless, this does kind of concern me. And listen, if you do have a stadium where fans do have access to that level, that floor where... The broadcast booths are, well then, Gillette Stadium should have added security to that area. And I'm not familiar with Gillette Stadium. I've never been there. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who is familiar with the ins and outs of that stadium. But it sounds like Gillette Stadium's radio booths, their broadcast booths, are also on the same level as to where maybe some fans have access to where it comes to suites or, or, or getting to their seats even. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure how this happened or why it happened, but that should be the bigger story with Gillette Stadium security. That's something I'm definitely upset about. Again, as someone who has worked with equipment like this, uh, not easy equipment to operate with either. I I mean, you definitely have to practice with it a few times to understand how it all works. And anyone who's worked with equipment like that before, you know how pricey these things can get. And uh, for the the, the, the fact that someone would steal this, uh, just ridiculous, completely ridiculous. And... Uh, I mean, that fan should be ashamed that they would even do such a thing, to be honest. And hopefully Gillette Stadium has learned it. And hopefully all NFL stadiums are aware of this. And they do have increased security. And you definitely know that the Chiefs radio guys, uh, they're going to keep a very close eye on their equipment from here on out, home or away. Some news that affects Kansas City. And another piece of news that could impact Kansas City I'll get into the one outside of Kansas City first. Former Chiefs inside linebacker Derek Johnson asked for his release from the Oakland Raiders, and it was granted by the Raiders. Uh, this happened on Tuesday, and Kansas City, if you need a reminder, they brought back safety Ron Parker, outside linebacker Frank Zombo, and offensive guard Jeff Allen. I'll get to Jeff Allen in just a moment. But given how terrible Kansas City's defense has been, is bringing Derek Johnson back... A good thing? Is it a bad thing? Would it benefit the Chiefs? Would it not? I don't know. I'll just put it this way. It couldn't hurt. It really couldn't. I know Derek Johnson declined the past couple of years, but at this point, what do you have to lose? Now, Andy Reid did say in a press conference Wednesday that the Chiefs are not really going in that direction as far as he knows, which sounds kind of interesting that he put it that way, but he is available. And I did say Monday, you know, Andy Reid's got to figure out how to fix this defense. He's been around the game long enough to know how it can be done. Very disappointing season from Alan Bailey's kind of had a, a, a quiet, 
quiet season, a good season somewhat. But man, Anthony Hitchens, I know he's third in the NFL in tackles, but man, uh, he's he still had a rough season. Reggie Ragland, who came in late, started late for the Chiefs, and he was doing very well as the 2017 season went along. And you thought with a full offseason, Hitchens and Ragland together, OTAs and training camp, all of that, enough time to study the playbook under Bob Sutton, they would do great in 2018, but it has not been the case. And I don't know if Derek Johnson coming back would help the Chiefs in any manner. So there's that option for Kansas City. Now, I did mention Jeff Allen. He is back the third time the Chiefs have brought back somebody this season. Safety Leon McQuay has been waived for Kansas City. So it appears his time with the Chiefs is up. But Allen was drafted in the second round by Scott Pioli two general managers ago. In 2012, out of Illinois, his last game was in Week 15 last season with the Houston Texans. He played in Kansas City from 2012 to 2015, excuse me. Uh, Spent the past two years in Houston. Very versatile guy who can play multiple positions on the offensive line. Can play as a guard, can play as a tackle. And look, Kansas City's offensive line has declined lately. But given Mahomes' mobility, and I know it's not ideal to use that mobility a lot, uh, but given that he has that, I didn't think it was the biggest need for Kansas City right now to bring in a guard in Jeff Allen. Again, his versatility is nice, but I'm surprised that they waived the safety for an offensive lineman, let alone the fact that they went after an offensive lineman rather than looking for some uh, someone that could help the Chiefs' defense this week. So that's the move the Chiefs made. A lot of people are looking to see if Kansas City will make any improvements defensively, and we will talk about, uh, about that with Russell Baxter in just a moment. Uh, a couple of quick notes here. Three Chiefs players did not practice on Wednesday. Justin Houston has a hamstring injury, uh, likely to miss this week as well as he missed the game against the Patriots. Mitch Morse, he left the game on Sunday early with a concussion. He is under the concussion protocol. And Eric Berry, uh, who is still uh, day-to-day for two months and counting with a sore heel, he also did not practice on Wednesday. So that is your Chiefs injury report from Wednesday afternoon. A couple of interesting notes. I want to go over the Chiefs offense and defense real quickly. Just kind of reading their season stats. Offensively, second in points per game, scoring 35.8 points per game, score close to 36 points per game. Fifth in total offense, seventh in passing, 13th in rushing. So you know, and I'll get into Cincinnati's defensive numbers later, but that Chiefs offense has a great chance to do a lot of different things. They can you they they can go a lot of different ways as to how they want to beat the Bengals. Whether you want to go run heavy or pass heavy, there's a good chance the Chiefs can win the game this Sunday just by simply using their offense. And if their defense can just have an average game, they've got a good chance to win this football game by at least two possessions. But is that really Something you can rely on? I don't know. The defense, 27th in points per game, allowed with 28.7. Last in total defense, 31st against the pass, 27th in stopping the run. Now, I'm sure you all have heard the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fire defensive coordinator Mike Smith. Makes me wonder, what, what, what would it take to fire Bob Sutton? Let's compare the Bucs and the Chiefs defense. Points per game allowed. Buccaneers, 32nd. Chiefs, 27th. Chiefs a little bit better in that category. Total defense, Chiefs are dead last. Buccaneers are just one spot better. Against the pass, Bucks are dead last. The Chiefs are one spot better. 
stopping the run. The Chiefs are 27th. The Bucks fifth in that category. Now, I haven't followed the Buccaneers that closely, so I don't know if it's because the offense has been doing so well this season as far as scoring points when they did under Ryan Fitzpatrick to the, to the point where opposing offenses had to abandon the run. Maybe that's a possibility. But again, I haven't followed the Buccaneers that closely to understand if they have a good run-stopping defense or if their rush defense is fifth because teams have focused more on passing in some of their high-scoring games against the Bucs since their offense has been scoring a lot of points. I don't know what it would take to fire Bob Sutton. It is kind of starting to become interesting now because this Chiefs defense, uh, they're not showing any signs of improvement. The huge decline last year in 2017, and you're you're not seeing any improvements. When I mentioned, you know, Raglan and Hitchens, they had a full offseason with Bob Sutton. Why aren't we seeing that improvement after they both did very well last year? Raglan here in KC and Hitchens, he missed four games and nearly led the Cowboys in tackles last year. Both did very well in stopping the run, something the Chiefs have struggled in for a while now. They're 27th in that category. So I'm not exactly sure what it would take for the Chiefs to fire Bob Sutton at this point. Now, firing someone in season, it is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, someone did ask me what would be the viable option if the Chiefs did it in season. Well, secondary coach Emma Thomas and former Super Bowl champion as a Chief, uh, he was a defensive coordinator for three different teams. And you also have Al Harris, who played for the Packers and is, is, is uh, the assistant secondary coach. Perhaps you could have Emmett Thomas be the defensive coordinator while Al Harris takes over as the main secondary coach. That might be the best option for the Chiefs moving forward. Listen, I've always said this. If you are calling for a QB switch, you have to know who would be the right guy to fill in. If you want a head coaching change or an assistant head coaching change, you've got to, especially during the season, you've got to give me a name as to who you think can fill in and do a better job. And... If I have to give you one name who I think can do a better job, well, I I, I think Emmett, uh, Emmett Thomas would be the right guy. Uh, he's been a defensive coordinator before. In fact, he was an interim head coach in Atlanta when Jim Morrell was let go, I believe. Uh, I'll have to double check on that. But he was once an interim head coach. A lot of you guys have asked that, and that was the response that I gave on social media. Let me know your thoughts on that or anything that we have discussed so far on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzim Vesugian. And Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Also my email, Farzine at Farzinevesugian.com. And by the way, uh, it was actually Bobby Paterno. He was the head coach for the Falcons for one season, but uh, left after a 3-10 and uh, record under the uh, Falcons. Jim Morrow was the head coach prior to Paterno, but uh, Paterno, uh, less than a season with the uh, with the Falcons. Never, uh, never a good thing when you've all only spent less than a year as the head coach of a franchise. But yeah, the correction there, it was Paterno and not Jim Mora. Let me know your thoughts on that. And I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Hit the share button as well and spread the word about the Chiefstone podcast with your friends. We'll get into the matchup between the Chiefs and the Bengals later on in the podcast. But right now, joining us on the Chiefstone podcast, uh, a man who's... Been all over the media industry. I'm sure you guys have seen his work uh, of some sort, with either online or through social media. Uh, one of the better football minds out there, uh, Russell Baxter of Fansided and NFL Spin Zone. You can follow him on Twitter at BaxFootballGuru. He's been with ESPN, CBS Sports, 
even Bleacher Report, uh, just like myself. So uh, he and I uh, do have something in common. So uh, both of us with Bleacher Report at one point. Uh, great stuff on Twitter. Be sure you follow him. And he's very generous to give us a few minutes on this podcast. Russell, welcome in. First time we've had you on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. And I appreciate not bringing up the the fact that uh, I did some original drafts on the uh, Declaration of Independence, <laughs> the Monroe Doctrine, and, and the Bill of Rights. I've, you, I've been around a long time. Yeah, you 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 you've done it all. You really have. Um, I, I want to talk about that uh, with just a moment because I really do think it's fascinating bringing in somebody who just has so much experience with so many different media outlets. I'm sure you've worked with different editors, different bosses, and and everyone has their uh, way of doing things. But what's it been like for you just to really have a hand all over sports media and just be able to see uh, the sport from so many different angles from a media standpoint? Well. Listen, I, I've been very fortunate, you know, not without going through the whole story and so on, but you're talking to a guy who did not go to college, uh, was simply a huge football fan, had some natural writing ability, and somehow carved out 35 years in this business, a lot of it with television, um, you know, 22 years at ESPN, uh, a vast majority of that working very, very closely with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson. Um, you know, I did primetime in the studio for 17 years and never missed a show. And who would, um, you know, Sunday countdown, NFL draft, uh, been to about 25 Super Bowls. Um, now back writing again, writing in television. They're two totally different things. And it is, it's really a lot of fun because writing is the thing I think I've always wanted to do. But, you know, when I was at ESPN, I was kind of behind the scenes. I was the research coordinator. So it was a different, totally different type of role of what I'm doing now. Uh, you know, I have a little more exposure. Um, than I did at the time, but, um, you know, the people I worked with, you know, like Boomer and Tommy and, you know, the radio guys like Mike and Mike, um, always very appreciative, always love to do shout outs and, and really help my career. I mean, I, you know, I, I used to do a segment on Mike and Mike called the five things you need to know, which really kind of transgressed in the four things you need to know and tormenting Mike Greenberg about the Jets every week. <laughs> But, you know, like I said, primetime, went on, did some stuff at CBS, freelance NFL network. Um, I love football. I love what I do. Um, I don't play favorites. Um, I don't get jaded. Um, this is fun. And, and besides, let's be honest, the players do all the work. We don't. Very true, indeed. And I was very excited to have you on. I, I've heard you on uh, several uh, radio stations. I know you've done a lot of hits locally and even nationally as well. I've heard you a couple of times on the national circuit. And I really want to pick your brain on this Kansas City Chiefs football team. Five and one. Listen, if you told me before the season, uh, I thought Patrick Mahomes was going to go through that learning curve. But man, I, I mean, he really has gotten off to an impressive start. No one could have seen this coming. I want to know, what's your big takeaway from this 5-1 and one start from the Chiefs, coming off a crazy game and, and a narrow loss Sunday night in New England? Well, you know, I kidded before the season started. You know, I saw, uh, you know, you see Tyree Kill and you see Kareem Hunt and, um, you know, Jay, uh, Travis Kelsey, and then you add Sammy Watkins. And, um, you know, you, you look at the speed on that team and you think about Patrick Mahomes and that, ability to throw deep and also throw hard. Um, and yet at the same time, it's displayed some great touch. Um, and, you know, I, I, like I said, I kid for the season. If the Chiefs don't make the playoff, they're a cinch for the 2020 Olympic team um, as far as a relay team. I mean, when Sammy Watkins is not as fast as Tyree Kill, that ought to tell you something. 
the question marks I had with the Chiefs were defense. And they were defensive question marks last year and defensive question marks, of course, this year. It's a team that has become very, very dependent on takeaways. Now they're not 100% healthy. I understand all that. And, you know, having Eric Berry back one of these days would certainly help. Um, but, you know, they're in a division uh, with a, a currently where you have one team that's one and five and the other one in the midst of a four-game losing streak. I actually picked the Chargers to win it. I could pick the Chargers to, to be in the Super Bowl uh, this year. So uh, watching them do what they do, is it's, it's not surprising. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the whole season plays out. It's hard to discount anything Andy Reid does. I know people like to criticize his playoff failures and so on. Um, especially, you know, what happened last year and what's happened in the past in terms of those big blown leads. Um, but uh, in, in, in a season in which we're seeing an amazing amount of scoring um, and in a season that may break the mold in terms of tradition, I'm not saying somebody can't, you know, you can't win it without a defense. Eventually defense is going to have to rear its head. There's no question about it. So. Um, I'm not sure where this where this team is really headed, and I'm sure there's a little trepidation. I'll have to remind you of a team that was five and zero last year, and then five and six, and then five and seven if you include the playoff loss. So this game with the Bengals coming up at home, which has now been moved to Sunday night, I think is very very crucial mindset wise um, because you know losses in the NFL um, suddenly turn into a bag of potato chips. Okay. They just one after another after another. I don't know about you. I can't eat just one. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, I, I do want to get into that defensive side for a moment because you touch on a lot of it. Let's break it down one by one. I, I want to touch on Eric Berry for a moment. And like we said earlier, you've been around the NFL and sports for such a long time. Have you ever heard anything where a football player like Eric Berry has apparently a sore heel in his apparently day-to-day, but it's been 60 days that he's been listed day-to-day on this injury report. What, what's your what's your thought process with that? I mean, a lot of people feel like he's not even going to play this season or that his career might be over. People are speculating anything. I, I've seen every excuse in the book. What do you make of all this? Well, listen, I, I think there's probably a little trepidation on the organization's part, and I'm guessing because you're probably a little closer to it than I am. Trepidation on the player's part as well. Uh, you know, coming back from an injury, especially an injury like his a, a year ago, and listen, we're talking about a guy who came back from the worst thing possible. Yeah. So, um, but that's different than getting out there and even though you might, and I'm not saying he is, uh, players get cleared 100% me- medically a lot. They don't get cleared 100% um, mentally. Because we don't know. And that's why you see, you know, like, early this season, uh, Deshaun Watson looking very tentative. Uh, for a couple of weeks, Carson Wentz looking extremely tentative. Because when you suffer a knee injury in November, and then the, Wentz was December, okay, you're out there and you're running around, but do you, do you still have the feel? Do you still have the pocket presence? I know I'm talking about a safety opposed to a quarterback, but still. So, you know, ideally – if you're the Chiefs, you kind of hold him out as long as possible. And, um, you know, make sure you're healthy for the stretch run. I know that sounds, um, you know, a, a little silly for, for some reason, but 
again, I don't think we know the extent of how healthy or not healthy he is. And if he's not, if he's feeling 98%, I don't think there's any reason to put him out in the field unless he is 100% ready to go. Because I think Eric Berry has earned that um, as much as anything else. I mean, he's a, he's an all, former All-Pro, comeback player of the year, uh, you know, one of the great ball hawks, um, uh, just an overall tremendous football player. And he means a lot to that team. And, um, you know, if you can have him healthy down the stretch, it would be, I, I mean, this is going to be a bad correlation, um, but in some ways, and we've kind of seen this before, 12 years ago, the Colts had a horrible defense. Um, and then suddenly, late in the year, a, a guy named Bob Sanders managed to stay healthy and stay healthy throughout the playoffs, and it kind of turned them around. I'm not saying Eric Berry is Bob Sanders and vice versa, um, but I think you want to go into these playoffs if indeed they're headed toward the playoffs um, as healthy as humanly possible. And, and, and let's face it, we're in a league now where depth is basically non-existent. If you have depth, you're going to win a lot of games just on depth alone. You talked about the injuries on this Chiefs, and we just talked about Eric Berry. Justin Houston is another one, but I don't know if that's really an excuse for just how bad this Chiefs defense has looked, allowing so many yards, so many points, and a plethora of missed tackles just left and right. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers fired their defensive coordinator and Mike Smith this week. Kansas City and Tampa Bay, they're very similar as far as defensive rankings go. What do you? What's your take on Bob Sutton, and what do you think it would take for Kansas City to relieve him of his duties in KC? Well, I think it would take, um, you know, and, and you, you bring up an excellent, excellent point. I was actually kind of surprised they pulled the plug on on what happened here with Mike Smith. But I, if this would be my guess. My, my guess is um, that when you look at who they added this offseason, okay, um, the Buccaneers really went out and spent a lot of money, and they spent draft picks to fix their defensive line. This was a team last year, okay, dead last in the league in total yards allowed, dead last in the league in passing yards allowed, dead last in the league with 22 sacks. So they went out and traded for Jason Pierre-Paul. They got Vinny Curry. They signed Bo Allen. They signed Mitch Unterrein, who I know has been hurt. Um, they drafted Villavea, who has also been hurt. So where's the pass rush? And yet, Civ-like, absolutely Civ-like, in the span of Three weeks, and I know Mitch Trubisky had, um, or three games, I should say. In in the span of three games, they gave up a dozen touchdown passes. Six to Trubisky, three to Big Ben, and then three this week to Matt Ryan. They're not getting any heat on anyone. So you combine what happened the year before, and, you know, they obviously ready to make a change, which is unfortunate because if you go back to 2016, this was a team whose defense – Got real opportunistic. And you see, and that's kind of the problem around the NFL right now, in t- as far as I'm concerned, in terms of defense. There's so many units that rely on forcing turnovers. And if they don't get the turnovers, they can't stop anyone. Um, and listen, even when they do get the turnovers, sometimes it's tough. It, it is fa- hard to find a team where you simply can't move the football against. Baltimore certainly comes to mind. I know they've laid an egg against Cincinnati, but, you know, for the most part this year, they've been that team and given up a touchdown the second half of any game this year. So being able to move the football and, and listen, the rules make it easier for offenses. We all, we all know that, but I, I think 
some teams have fallen into the trap of, well, let's just get a lot of takeaways and we can hide what we our defensive efficiencies. But I'll say this, if you can get a team that can shut you down and get the takeaways, you got some special unit, something like the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. I always like to take listener questions uh, anytime we got a guest on, and a lot of the listeners ask kind of a different question, but all kind of under the same umbrella here in terms of what kind of help this defense could get. Uh, the Chiefs seem like they were very close to getting Earl Thomas from the Seattle Seahawks, the team you just mentioned. Uh, there were reports earlier this week about Patrick Peterson. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals uh, seem like they might be taking offers for him. Is there any realistic shot at the Chiefs getting Patrick Peterson, or do you think there might be another player out there who the Chiefs should go after to try to help the defense, especially when the offense is playing like a Super Bowl caliber team. If the defense can at least be average, they could make a run uh, out there, but you've, you've got to improve that defense somehow. Do you see any possibilities on that defensive side as far as improvement goes? I think it would just depend, honestly, on who was made available. I mean, you hear you know rumors all the time about who's out there and, and who teams should go after, and then as it turns out, the, the player isn't really available but I, I get the sense that within the next two weeks um and that's when the trade deadline ends in a couple of weeks um i i, I get the sense that andy reed and, and and the front office might try and and do something um again their biggest concern right now is health and justin houston's banged up obviously and we talked about barry and so on um and again in a league if you don't have any depth i mean there's only so much you could do i mean look at the atlanta think about the atlanta falcons their start, two starting safeties, their middle linebacker, and their best defensive lineman are, are at, you know, we are, and one of them, Grady Jarrett, um, you know, has been hurt the last couple of weeks. That's the middle of your defense. You wonder why they can't. You wonder why the Atlanta Falcons in the last four games have given up, are you ready for this, 150 points. Couple questions left with Russell Baxter of Fan Sided in NFL Spin Zone. I want to look at the AFC for just a moment. The Chiefs still have the number one seed. Could lose it this week if bad things happen against the Bengals. Uh, the Patriots are starting to climb up and we've seen the Patriots struggle early and still come back 2014 and last year. And now this year, they right now hold the number two seed in the AFC if the playoffs began. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on, uh, the start we, we, we've seen so far. The Chiefs and Bengals were the top two team in the AFC for the first five weeks. Uh, something that nobody expected. Uh, how do you see things ending uh, as far as the AFC goes, and where do you think the Chiefs' placement will be? Right, you know, I'm going to stick out high hopes for my Super Bowl pick, and and, and I'm not going to be surprised if, if the Chargers catch up with them, which now, of course, they're only a game behind, um, and pass them. And I know they beat uh, the Chiefs. I'm sorry, the Chiefs beat them in Los Angeles earlier this year, and the Chiefs' record, I mean, obviously, where they beat them, nine in a row now. Um, you know, yeah. so they kind of had their their number. Um, I, I, I find it hard to believe the Chiefs will fall out of the playoff picture. Um, but the problem for the Chiefs is being been in the playoffs, um, being that postseason team and, you know, squandering leads and having better teams and, and, and so on and blowing home games. And, and, and I know people don't want to hear all this, but that's been kind of their um, that's been kind of their pattern as of late. Uh, I mean, but this team does feel different because it's producing points steadily, okay? It's not getting a bunch of pick sixes. It's not scooping up fumbles. It's not getting, you know, a lot of punt return. Now, don't get me wrong. Tyree Kill does everything, absolutely everything. Um, but the, the quick strike ability of the Chiefs, 
is something I, I, I really haven't seen from them. That's not saying they haven't scored points. Last year they got off to an unbelievable start in terms of scoring points and things settled down. Um, you know, the other day uh, against New England, looked like they were a little jittery early, put 31 points on the board in the second half alone. So um, I'm not sure how it all plays out because, as you know, a lot of times it also depends on how everybody else in the division and the conference plays out. But I, I think this is a huge game this week at home for them because they have to – I'm not saying they're bleeding, but two losses in a row after a 5-0 and start, sad as it say, says or seems, might bring back some doubt because of the way last year ended. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I think that's something you've got to keep in mind. No, for sure. It absolutely makes sense. And and I, I know fans don't want to hear this. The Chiefs started 5-0 and last year and then lost two in a row. So you definitely don't want to repeat that uh, this season, especially with the hot start they've gotten under with uh, Patrick Mahomes. And that's the, the last question I want to get from you. How do you think Patrick Mahomes finishes the season? And what are your expectations from him from here on out? Well, I think he's going to have one of those games where, um, you know, he's going to throw his share of interceptions. Um you know, and some of them might not be his fault. I mean, he throws very hard, so, you know, you can certainly see a ball bouncing or two and so on. But, you know, the resourcefulness he has shown already uh, after just six games this season is, is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, you, you'd have to go back. You see, and when you start comparing, you know this, you start bringing up other names um, from the past, people immediately say, well, he, you're saying he's the next this or the next that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But seeing him come into the league and doing what he does is almost Dan Marino-esque because Dan Marino, his second year in the league, was his best year. I mean, it was his absolute best year in the league. 48 touchdowns, 17 picks, 5,084 yards, took um, the Dolphins to the Super Bowl. Um, by the way, they ran out of defense at the end of the year, too. This high-scoring stuff doesn't necessarily work in terms of Super Bowl history. Um, but um, – you know, the, the thing about this Kansas City team, though, it is very, very well balanced. It's got an experienced coaching staff. And, again, I think that quick strike ability bodes well. It, it, to me, it would be almost ironic of these teams, the Chiefs at field, of winning the AFC West and um, getting in here and getting in here in terms of playoffs and so on. And, um, you know, maybe doing it when everybody is, you know, not expecting them to do it. And last year, I guess you could say it fell onto that because of the way they they, they slumped at the end of the year and so on. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a team because they've been in the playoffs three years in a row and four for the past five years that always has a lot of pressure on them. Um, but you know, getting past the Pittsburghs and New England um, just hasn't worked for the team. And obviously, what happened last year with Tennessee. But um, I'll, I'll be. I'll be curious to see how it all plays out because let's be honest, other than Baltimore, think about it, other than Baltimore, who in the AFC scares you defensively? Uh, I'm not sure. Who, who would you pick? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure either. It, it, to me, it's, it's not New England. Okay. I can't think of anybody in the AFC East. It may be. I can't think of anybody outside of Baltimore. It might be. Maybe Houston. Maybe. But their offense is, is very, very sporadic. Jacksonville has given up 70 points the last two weeks. Uh, you know, Tennessee may be defensively, but offensively they haven't scored a touchdown 
two weeks. So, um, you know, they're not an ideal team but who and a perfect team. Maybe this is just one of those years where a less than perfect team or a less than dominant team winds up winning a Super Bowl. You know, it's not that far-fetched. You know, seven years ago, we saw a 9-7 and seven Giants team win the Super Bowl. They, they gave up more points that year than they scored. They had a mid-season four-game losing streak, and yet when it was all said and done, the only thing anybody remembers is they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Very interesting stuff. I never thought of it that way. That, that gives me a lot to think about. We, we could have another 20 minutes on that if we could, but I, I know you got to get going, and I definitely appreciate your time. Russell Baxter, uh, fan-sided NFL spin zone. Check him out. Follow him on Twitter at BaxFootballGuru. Uh, great stuff, so check him out on social media. Russell, first time we've had you on, and I know we're going to bring you back on again. Appreciate your time. We'll keep in touch, man. You got it. There he is, Russell Baxter here with us on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. A big thanks to him for joining us here. A lot of great stuff from uh, Russell Baxter and a lot to think about as well, especially with uh, his comments about the uh, AFC and uh, some of the defensive teams there. Uh, kind of makes a point that I never really thought of. And yeah, I, I kind of thought about Jacksonville, but he was right. They, they, I mean, they struggled a lot defensively. Now we'll see if that changes moving forward, but... That is kind of an interesting note there. Uh, the AFC is still wide open. Sure, the Patriots are kind of catching back up. The Chiefs are still on top. But uh, uh, still very early and a lot can happen as the season, season goes on. So we'll see how things uh, shape out. And this week, great time for the Chiefs to stay on top as they play a team in the Bengals who have been the second best team in the AFC for most of the year. So you know this is a crucial game for both teams. The Chiefs need to stay on top of the AFC before the Patriots can take over. And the Bengals, they need to stay within the top couple of seeds if they want to get a high seed. And they've got to win a game this Sunday in doing so. Both teams coming off a loss this season. You know, we haven't seen a lot of losses for these teams. Only three combined losses this season. And both of them coming off a loss, looking to rebound on primetime football Sunday night at Arrowhead Stadium. Let's start with the Bengals offense. 23rd in total offense, 17th in passing, 25th in rushing, although a little bit better than uh, that team stat would indicate. But they're 6th in points per game with 29 points per game. So you know offensive coordinator Bill Lazor, he's got to find a way to get this offense moving. And what a great time to do so against a very weak defense in Kansas City's as I mentioned to you some of their numbers earlier in this podcast. So uh, this would be a good time for this Bengals offense to get going. Now, they could still struggle in this game uh, despite some of the uh, stats and the the potential mismatches that we have here. Let's start with Andy Dalton, who's done a great job since he's gotten to Cincinnati. Only flaw has been the postseason. He's thrown for more than 1,600 yards. A ties 13th with Blake Bortles. Has 14 touchdown passes. Ties fourth with Matt Ryan. Mahomes has 18, leading the league, as we all know. Andrew Luck has 16. Phillip Rivers has 15. Those are your top three QBs. And you've got Matt Ryan and Andy Dalton tied fourth. So you know you've got the uh, uh, the top five uh, touchdown uh, passing QBs in this football game. Um, uh, Andy Dalton, excuse me, he's been a little bit uh, happy with his uh, picks lately. Seven interceptions this season. Uh, Blake Bortles, Derek Carr, and Case Keenum, and Andrew Luck, they each have eight interceptions leading the league. Andy Dalton, Sam Darnold, and Deshaun Watson each have seven, tying fifth behind the four league leaders I mentioned before. So Andy Dalton also up there in interceptions along with touchdowns in the top five in both categories. 
he's coming off a game where he threw for the fewest passing yards, 229 yards, but had two touchdowns, no picks, and it's actually the second time this year out of six games he did not throw an interception. Kind of makes it hard to believe that this team uh, has been able to win four football games despite throwing so many picks this season. Uh, other uh, game where he did not throw an interception, that was week two against Baltimore. Both of those games were at home, by the way. Uh, was sacked three times, though, against Pittsburgh. Ties a single-game high this season, uh, the other one being week four at Atlanta. And I was also dealing with a back issue, was listed on the Bengals injury report, but was a full participant at practice this week for the Bengals. The big weapon, I think, for Cincinnati is going to be Joe Mixon. The running back drafted in the second round last year out of Oklahoma. A lot of OU fans know who he is. Very familiar with him. A lot of OU fans in Chiefs country, they know who he is. Uh, And if you follow Big 12 football closely, if you're a KU, K-State fan, uh, Iowa State fan, we got a lot of Big 12 fans in and in, in around Kansas City. So uh, if you follow Big 12 football closely, you definitely know of Joe Mixon and his activity in Oklahoma, in and off the field, of course. But uh, I digress. You get the idea there. Uh, he's 16th in rushing yards with 336 uh, off 71 rushes. He has the third highest average with 84 yards per game. Kareem Hunt, by the way, he's fourth in rushing yards with 456 this season, despite the quiet start the first couple of games. Pair of touchdowns for him on the ground this year. No 100-yard rushing game yet, but does have two games of 90-plus yards. Uh, one against Indy, the other against Miami, and I would bet that he gets the 100 yards this Sunday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think this is the perfect time to do it against Kansas City's poor run-stopping defense. He's been filling in for Giovanni, excuse me, Giovanni Bernard, who has a knee and a toe injury and did not practice Wednesday. He is not expected to play Sunday night against the Chiefs. Now, not a lot of weapons for Andy Dalton, but he does have two really reliable ones, Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green, wide receivers on the team. Boyd leads the team with 37 grabs. He has 455 yards and four touchdowns on the year. Green, on the other end, 33 receptions and leads the team in both yards and touchdown grabs, 494 yards and five touchdowns through the air. Uh, tight ends Tyler Eifert and CJ Uzuma each have 15 catches. That's the next most after the two wide receivers I mentioned. So you go from 37 grabs for Boyd, Tyler Boyd, 33 for AJ Green, and then 15 catches each for Eifert and for Uzuma. Both tight ends have just one touchdown catch on the year. However, Eifert... Suffered a brutal ankle injury earlier in the season. Uh, He already uh, had surgery on that ankle and is not expected to return. Has not been listed out yet. Not on IR, but uh, uh, the the word is he is not expected to return to uh, to the team this season. Now, I mentioned Giovanni Bernard, who Joe Mixon has been filling in for. He is fifth for most grabs with 14. So, uh, among your top five guys, Eifert and Bernard are part of the top five, and they are hurt and not going to be be playing in the game this Sunday. Joe Mixon, he's next on the team and grabs with 13. So as you can tell, not a lot of viable options for Andy Dalton. But he does have two really good ones in Boyd and Green, which can get you through sometimes. It can make up for the lack of help outside of those guys. Whereas in Kansas City, yeah, you do have Tyree Kill, uh, uh, Sammy Watkins, and Travis Kelsey, but... 
You also have a lot of other guys you can really rely on. You, you, you've seen DeAnthony Thomas get used a little bit. Chris Conley has been very active for the Chiefs. Uh, Robinson has been a guy who's filled in at times coming through for the Chiefs. Uh, so the Chiefs have a lot of those options. And also, you know, on Ray Reed's offense, they always use the running backs in the passing game. Whereas in Cincinnati, you haven't really had that. Uh, under Andy Dalton's offense. Uh, so this is going to be an offense that I think might be one-dimensional. And here's why. The offensive line for the Bengals, the best offensive line, lineman they have, as far as pro football f- uh, focus grades go, is left guard Clint Bowling, who has the highest grade on the team from PFF with a 66.4. He's the 28th rated guard in the NFL. Everyone else on that uh, offensive line for the Bengals their rating is in the 50s. Right tackle Bobby Hart is going to be going up against D. Ford, who had who, who's had a terrific season. Kind of a quiet one against Tom Brady. Uh, but Kansas City will need D. Ford. He, he's going to be the X factor. And I know I, I say this a lot about D. Ford, but he's going to be the big playmaker because he's probably the best player on defense so far this season. And if, if you need the defense to, to, to get a break, uh, to just come through, D. Ford is going to be a big reason why. And... You're going to need him to get to Andy Dalton to prevent him from having a big game against Kansas City's defense with A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd. So that's going to be a big factor for Kansas City. If if D. Ford can get the best of Bobby Hart, the right tackle number 68 for the Bengals, and get to Andy Dalton quickly, put some pressures on, on him, then you know Andy Dalton will be limited in his activity through the air. And this would force the Bengals to go run heavy with... Joe Mixon, and I think that will definitely hurt Kansas City in this football game. I expect Joe Mixon to, to run for, for about 125 yards against Kansas City's rush defense, despite being at Arrowhead. So I think Kansas, uh, excuse me, Cincinnati's offense, I think they'll do some things in the passing game, but it's mostly going to be the running game where they find most of their success because I don't know if Andy Dalton, he'll, he'll, he'll have some big plays with those uh, with those wide receivers, but I don't think he can do it on a consistent basis Sunday night against the Chiefs defense if D. Ford can get the best of Bobby Hart, which I think he'll do. He's overdue for a big game, so I think he's going to come through and uh, be, get the best of Bobby Hart in this game. Switching over to the defensive side, uh, coordinated by Terrell Austin, 29th in total defense, 28th against the pass, 20th in stopping the run, and they've allowed 26.3 points per game. That's the 23rd worst in the NFL. Inside linebacker Nick Vigil, he's 6th in the league in tackles with 51, but he is out for a month due to an injury. So as far as the leader on the team in tackles, active players on on the Bengals, safety Jesse Bates, usually when you got a guy in the secondary leading your team in tackles, generally not a good thing. Uh, But he's leading the team with 42 tackles right now. Also has a pair of interceptions this season. Safety, The other safety, Sean Williams, also has a pick. And defensive end Michael Johnson, he had a pick that he took back 22 yards for a touchdown. The only pick six for Cincinnati. As far as that defensive line goes, right next to Michael Johnson is defensive tackle Geno Atkins, who leads the team with six sacks. Carlos Dunlap, the defensive end for the Bengals, has four on the season. That's a total of 10 sacks and a pick six. From the Bengals defensive line. So obviously a very good start through six games for the Cincinnati Bengals defensive line. Now that'll be their big threat with Kansas City's offensive line trying to give Mahomes all the time he needs. So I I can see both quarterbacks uh, dealing with pressure in this game. But you know Patrick Mahomes is the more mobile one. And he's going to do the better job of escaping that pressure 
and might get sacked once or twice. As far as games this season and, and being sacked, he's been sacked in every game except for the New England game. And as far as the other five games, he's only been sacked once in each of them with the exception of the San Francisco game where he was sacked twice. He's only been sacked six times this year in six games. That's one sack per game. That's pretty damn good. Part of it's the offensive line. I thought they did a great job to start the season. They've declined a bit lately, as I mentioned earlier, with the Jeff Allen edition. Uh, but overall, uh, Mahomes' mobility has been another reason why he hasn't been sacked a whole lot. So I, I think he may get sacked a couple of times in this game. He'll have a hard time with that. But he'll still do a, a good job getting through this defense that doesn't do a good job of limiting to, limiting opposing offenses in terms of the yards they allow, especially through the air. And you know Patrick Mahomes against a 28th ranked pass defense. Well, man, I, I, I think Patrick Mahomes is going to have a pretty big game through the air. And when you've got guys like Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and Sammy Watkins, they can make it look easy. So I expect a big game from Patrick Mahomes, a big rebound game. And I know he had four touchdowns last week, but I expect him to do well for four full quarters. I think it's time we see that from Mahomes. We haven't seen that necessarily from him yet. Uh, maybe the Chargers game, but that was week one. It's been a while. So I expect Mahomes to have a big game from start to finish against the Bengals. Special teams for the Bengals. Wide receiver Alex Erickson replacing Bernard for kick returns. Has one kick return that went for 51 yards. He's fourth in the NFL in kick return yards. Also handling punt return duties. Kicker Randy Bullock, 7 of 9, missed a 53-yard field goal and had a 37-yarder that was blocked. And by the way... Among the 15 NFL kickers who have attempted 10-plus field goals, only two have yet to miss. Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker, one of them, and Denver uh, kicker uh, Brandon McManus, the other. By the way, uh, one note on Bullock and Butker. Bullock has 21 PATs that he has made. He's made all of them. Butker has 26 PATs, again making all of them. That's the top two in the NFL right now. The only two kickers who have 20-plus PATs made, and again, not missing any of them, that's 47 combined this year. And with, with PATs now being back a little bit uh, for, for kickers, uh, you do see some misses here and there, but through 47 combined for Bullock and Butker, have not missed a single one yet. So that is good to see, uh, especially from Kansas City side of things. Uh, punter Kevin Huber, 29th in average punt, uh, punt yards, excuse me, 30th in net average, and he's allowed 109 return yards, 12th most in the league. Also had one punt that was blocked. Uh, the one that was returned for a touchdown, it came against Miami. Jakeem Grant uh, of the Dolphins had a 71-yard punt return touchdown against the Dolphins. So you know it's doable against this Bengals team. So that is one thing to look out for in this football game for Kansas City's special teams return duties, and more specifically with Tyree Kill. I think both teams will put up points on the scoreboard. It just comes down to which defense is going to make those couple of plays that'll come through. The Chiefs defense hasn't been great, but there are times where they've made a couple of big plays, whether it's forcing a three and out late in the game like they did against Denver. And in the Patriots game, they forced that fumble on Tom Brady in the second half that really helped the Chiefs come back in that football game. Uh, even as bad as Kansas City's defense has been, they've come through with these rare moments that has made a difference in these football games. And I think you'll see that again 
maybe with D Ford or Chris Jones or even Alan Bailey in this football game, but I think you'll see a good game from D Ford here. And I, I think Kansas City's offense will have four good quarters to, to, to work with. So I, I, I can see Kansas City's offense coming through and putting up a lot of points on that scoreboard. And it'll be nice to do in front of this Arrowhead crowd on primetime football. So I've got Kansas City winning this football game 34-21. I, I think Cincinnati will find their way through Kansas City's uh, defense. But uh, I don't think it's going to be enough to stop the offense. Uh, the, that, that Bengals defense, uh, a couple of key players there, but... They don't have enough to stop Kansas City's uh, offensive firepower. With Tyree Kill and the game that he's coming off of, you know they're going to focus on him a lot. That'll free up Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins, as well as some of the other players on Kansas City's uh, receiving corp. And you know those guys will come through as well. And Demetrius Harris has that speed ability similar to Kelsey. So uh, he's kind of a liability when it comes to catches, but he's also an option the Chiefs have used this year. So you know that's also going to be something Kansas City's going to look at against the Spangles defense. So 34-21, my score prediction for Sunday night football. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Twitter.com slash Farzine21, and my email Farzine at Farzine Reminder for Facebook, we'll do a live video at halftime and after the game. So join me for that. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. You know, I could criticize the Dolphins for how they won, but a win is a win. They fumble at the one-yard line in overtime. The Bears also fumble at the one. That was in regulation. Dolphins, uh, I mean, they're pretty lucky. Not only did they dodge a bullet, but the Bears missing a field goal. And the way they fumble at the one-yard line, the four receivers set two on each side in handing it on. I mean, just, just run it in. By the way, Brock Osweiler is filling in at QB, the tallest quarterback ever in NFL history. I know he hasn't been great, but you can easily sneak it in with him. There's no reason to get cute the way they did. Kind of reminds me of what Andy Reid does sometimes. But still, uh, with Tannehill injured, Osweiler will continue to start. And this is kind of interesting. The NFL has opened an investigation into how the Miami Dolphins reported uh, Tannehill's shoulder injury. A source confirmed to ESPN. Kind of makes you wonder if the NFL is looking into this whole Eric Berry deal and the fact that he's been day-to-day for more than 60 days now. It's kind of interesting that it's taking this long for Eric Berry's recovery. And I think the NFL should look into that as well. Teams have to have an injury report for a reason. And the NFL will look into it if they think something something shady is going on. And I think we have enough to say that there is something going on in KC that, to, the, to the fact that if they're going to investigate... Miami's injury report. Hey, uh, let's get someone on Kansas City's case and see what is going on there. Uh, I posted the pictures of Conor McGregor meeting uh, Cowboys players and Jerry Jones, Cowboys owner. Jones told McGregor he'd love to have a fight at AT AT&T Stadium one day. Now, that's not up to McGregor entirely, but he does have a lot of say in a lot of things with the UFC. Uh, Listen, uh, football stadiums, baseball stadiums are used for a lot of events nowadays. More than ever, uh, the T-Bone Stadium in Kansas City next to the Legends. uh, And I can't remember the name of that stadium, but they did have a combat sports event uh, this past summer. Uh, Billy Joel was at Kauffman Stadium. Taylor Swift and another singer whose name escapes my mind right now, they performed at Arrowhead this fall. NFL stadiums have the biggest capacity for big events. We see WrestleManias always at football stadiums. I know the UFC is locked with T-Mobile Arena, but... Uh, could they use the Raiders stadium in Las Vegas for a special one-time event? You never know. You're seeing a lot of NFL teams get new stadiums, most of them indoor stadiums, 
and especially if it's indoor, that opens up the door for nicer amenities, a chance at a Super Bowl, as well as other major events coming to that venue. Kind of makes me wonder if Kansas City could be going in that direction one day. Not anytime soon because they just renovated the stadiums. I know it was 10 years ago, but those are still kind of fairly new things. You're still seeing Arrowhead uh, make some changes. They have that underground bar where the the tunnel is, where the Chiefs uh, team goes in and out of. Uh, I know Coffin Stadium, they're always updating their their stadium, adding nice amenities, uh, restaurants and bars and whatnot. So... Uh, they're still adding things to those venues, so I don't think now is an appropriate time to really talk about a brand new stadium, but you know it's going to come in about 10, 15, 20 years for at least Arrowhead because of the indoor stadiums we're seeing now in the NFL and the opportunities to host the Super Bowl. I think it could happen sometime soon. Uh, excuse me, not soon, but in a decade or so for the Chiefs and in Kansas City. Uh, Last thing I want to touch on here on this segment, the Raiders' complete disarray. I mentioned Derek Johnson. He obviously wanted out of Oakland. But man, that 10-year, $100 million contract for John Gruden, uh, disaster. Just a flat-out disaster. To the point where Raiders fans have created a website counting down the years, weeks, months, days, hours, minutes, and seconds when John Gruden is out of Oakland, or at least when his contract is up. Plus, it shows how much he's owed. Uh, It also shows how much money he has made ever since you've been on the Countdown website. I mean, the Raiders fans went all out with this. Props to Marty McDonald, a friend of the podcast, for what he did a few years ago, flying banners over the stadium. But I've got to say, this is a pretty creative step here, putting that Countdown website up there. It's it's, it's pretty creative. I like it. Uh, But man, uh, I'll tell you what, this is a bad marketing tool for the Raiders going to Las Vegas because... I'm sure when they signed Gruden to this long-term deal, they thought, look, the fans in Las Vegas, um, they're going to have a good football team to root for. And now you're kind of wondering, is John Gruden even going to make it to Las Vegas at this point with the Raiders moving there? Now, it's uncertain when the move will happen exactly to Vegas, but I think there's a valid reason to believe that Gruden might not even make it with the Las Vegas Raiders. That's how bad things have gotten in Oakland, I, I mean, you look at that 10-year deal, and I know it's just a few games in, but boy, it looks horrible on the Raiders right now. And if you're a Chiefs fan, you're glad that is not your football team right now. Let's go out of bounds. The NBA season is underway, and look, it's been hard to market a team in the East when LeBron was there for eight years, taking the Cavs and the Heat to the finals. Now, a new team can kind of break through and really give their specific marketing department, not just the NBA's marketing department, but also uh, their own team's marketing department, some some possible work to do by winning and gaining exposure. Listen, the NBA hasn't had much to promote outside of Cleveland and Golden State. And now we can start asking if Boston or Philly can make a run to the finals representing the East. And there's a valid question to ask as to who wins the West. Maybe it's still going to be Golden State, but it's not going to be as easy as as it's been in the past for the Warriors. The NBA got very interesting with LeBron James going to the Western Conference and joining the LA Lakers. Should make for a very intriguing NBA season because we no longer are just going to pencil in the, 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 the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. It's going to, people are going to wonder who it's going to be between Boston or Philly or if another team could emerge and could the Lakers possibly break through and finally return 
to prominence in the NBA. That'll be very interesting to see this season for the NBA. By the way, I meant to do this, and I've talked about this, and I posted this on Facebook. I finally played that crappy game, Fortnite. And I have no idea why that game is popular. I'll never understand what's so great about that game. This game sucks. To the point where I played for the first time, I won. I don't even know how I won. Now, people laugh because apparently I, I took a screenshot of this. I, 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 to pro- I had to prove I won. I traveled one kilometer, which I don't know if that's good or bad or, or, or what, but I won. I mean, a win's a win, right? We say that a lot with the Chiefs sometimes. Uh, people were, were on Facebook asking, how did you win if you didn't kill anybody, which I didn't. Uh... And then people went on asking their kids. Apparently, I escaped a storm in Fortnite. This game's horrible. How is it that children, and even adults, are attracted to this game? Blows my mind. Madden is more fun than this. Call of Duty is more fun than this. And I even played the the, the newer Call of Duty with my brother. By the way, you guys were suggesting PUBG. I don't even know what PUBG is. Uh, But I'd be willing to give it a try. I'll look into that sometime. Uh, I'm a Final Fantasy guy, so I'll even take Final Fantasy over Fortnite. Uh, terrible game. If you've never played it, you are not missing anything. Pokemon Go is better than Fortnite, okay? Uh, 20 minutes of my life, I will never get back playing Fortnite. Final thing I want to get into. This was very interesting. This has been talked about for a while now, and now there's more discussion about this. A new study confirms that a Hyperlook system... From Kansas City to St. Louis would be feasible, and that train could travel up to 640 miles per hour and arrive from Kansas City to St. Louis and vice versa in a matter of 30 minutes. This study was conducted by the OP-based company, Black and & Beach, and listen, can we expect expect this for, our, for other places? I mean, think of the northeast region with new york city boston dc and philly i I mean you could have uh something something like that with those four cities pittsburgh as well um i'm not i don't know off the top of my head how far each of those are from one another but they're within the same range of each other or one another i should say uh if you go south atlanta nashville charlotte okay maybe you can get something going there dallas oklahoma city houston new orleans if you go west uh you've got uh, San Diego, LA, Phoenix, and Vegas all within uh, one another as far as proximity goes. Uh, Chicago, Indy, Cleveland, uh, that area as well. Uh, this is something that, that could really kind of change the game as far as traveling goes. And Kansas City and St. Louis might be the uh, guinea pigs of this. Uh, and listen, uh, you're seeing Kansas City do a lot in terms of traveling and destination. You see the monorail that they have downtown. And now they're trying to do this Hyperlook system from Kansas City to St. Louis and back. And you'll get to to the city in a matter of 30 minutes, which definitely makes a big difference. And people say, well, it's not too, too far to fly out. Sure. But you add in the fact, you know, baggage claim, you check in, you go through security and whatnot. But you also have to wonder, there has to be a similar process uh, with this for the, the this train system that they're trying to put into place. But... Very interesting. I'd be intrigued to uh, keep an eye on, on this on this topic and uh, maybe bring it back up again if things start to get pretty serious because this would definitely make things interesting as far as travel goes and if they want to implement this for other regions moving forward. Would be very interesting to know. Let me know your thoughts on that. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. 
know, a team that's really hard to predict going into every season, the New York Giants. I always give them the benefit of the doubt, but man, what a mess. And add in the whole situation with Odell Beckham Jr. and the fact that he's always talking. And now the owner is kind of stepped in, basically saying, shut up. When you have your owner doing that publicly, and listen, even during the bad years, Clark Hunt, I, I feel like, has been kind of hush-hush, even during the negative moments, simply because he doesn't want to be the story for a football team. The I remember in 2012, despite the bad season, the only time Clark Hunt spoke out was the Javon Belcher incident and the incident where Chiefs fans were apparently cheering the Matt Castle injury. Uh, he tries to stay away from any team drama because that's just not his place where he wants to come in to talk and become the story. Because we've seen this before. When owners come in and start saying things to criticize the team, that becomes a big story. And it's just not pretty at all with the Giants. I'm not saying the Giants owner is wrong. He's absolutely right. Odo Beckham Jr. needs to seal his mouth and just play football. But, man, uh, it, it just got uglier with that. Uh, it's been really tough for the New York Giants. And, look, I feel bad for Eli Manning. Likeable guy. Obviously, has had two underdog moments in the Super Bowl against the same team in the Patriots. Uh, but it's just very hard to to, to to look at this Odo Beckham Jr. situation. Makes you kind of wonder, would they be better off without him? Possibly. He could easily be the best wide receiver in the NFL right now over Tyreek Hill and Antonio Brown. But, man, uh, it, it just sometimes looks like he's not into it right now because of the fact that he's playing on a bad team. Get over it. A lot of great players are on bad teams, but they don't fuss about it the way you do. All right, I am sure you guys have followed some of the drama in uh, the baseball playoffs in the ALCS and NLCS. Uh, there, there was a crazy incident in the ALCS where a, a Boston fan, I guess, interfered on a, on a play. Uh, NLCS kind of got interesting. Brewers first baseman Jesus Aguilar, he kept a foot way over the uh, first base bag when Manny Machado of the Dodgers was trying to cross and nearly tripped up trying to get to first base. Uh, there's no reason to have your foot that far over the bag. We've seen lots of first base plays. Obviously, the most typical place where you can get an easy out is just an infield hit, throw it to first base, and we don't see first basemen ever do this. A dumb thing for Aguilar to do. There's no reason to have your foot over the bag, and of course, things got heated between him and Machado. Uh, Machado has a point. Why do you have your foot that far on the first base bag? Unless you're trying real, really quickly to get there to beat the tag, that can happen occasionally. That's a mistake. But if you're just relaxed there at first base, know where your foot has got to be. Know where your back foot's got to be. No reason for that to be over the line like that. Oh, it's been a while since I've got to criticize one of my favorites on this segment of the show. Ronda Rousey, former UFC fighter, now in the WWE uh, she commented on the whole fiasco with Conor McGregor and Habib Nurmagomedov, the brawl that took place after the fight. Ronda Rousey said that some fighters get special treatment and was criticizing the UFC for that, more, more specifically with Conor McGregor. She just said some fighters get special treatment. Ronda Rousey did not speak to the media following her first ever loss after losing to Holly Holm. And she did not want to face the media at all. When she returned 13 months later to fight Amanda Nunes, she did not want to talk to the to the, media, to the media. So because the UFC is willing to bend for their superstars, Ronda Rousey requested that she does not have to talk to any reporters. 
including Joe Rogan after the ceremonial weigh-ins. Who's Ronda Rousey to talk about special treatment when she's definitely been under that list of fighters who has received special treatment? I mean, you talk about double standard, man. We've seen that quite a lot in our world lately. And Ronda Rousey, I mean, hypocritical now saying, oh, Connor's getting special treatment. That's why the brawl happened. No, I don't know if that's why the brawl happened necessarily. Uh, I I mean, we've seen a lot of fighters trash talk and uh, get under an opponent's skin. But to to say Connor's getting special treatment, which he does, so did Ronda. Everybody knows that. Silly of her to say. I mean, she's got plenty of that. During her time with the UFC. And the UFC is always, always willing to bend for their big name fighters. Always. Because that's the way it works. That'll do it for this edition of the Chief Zone Podcast. Big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Big thanks to Russell Baxter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He is at BaxFootballGuru. Check his workout at Fansided and NFL Spin Zone. And hopefully we can have them on again soon here on this podcast. Chiefs, Bengals, Sunday night at Arrowhead. If you're going to the game, have fun. Enjoy the game. Stay safe. If you're not going to be at the game, join me for the Facebook Live videos. Facebook.com slash Farzi Vesugian. We'll do a halftime and post-game live video. Follow me on Twitter as well, at Farzine 21 Email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Spread the word about the podcast. Hit the share button. Let your friends know about the Chiefs on Podcast. Once again, thanks to all of you guys for listening. I will talk to you after the game. Hopefully recapping a win. Bouncing back this weekend on Sunday night. Talk to you then. Take care.